appreciate you so much. It's good to see all of you. Hey, while they're heading back to their seats, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, wherever you are, I want you to grab it and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look there in just a moment. Uh, we love this weekend. One of the things that we say we, uh, we do, one of the reasons why we exist here as a church is to serve others across the street and around the world. Because we want to we be used by God to change the world for Christ. One life, one family, one opportunity at a time, whatever corner of the world we find ourselves in. We want to make an impact on this community. We want to make an impact on the world that we live in. And so that's the reason why we do things like this. And I'm looking forward in just a, a short time to having all of those folks here in the service who, uh, as I mentioned, who teach, who lead, who serve, who care for our students throughout the school year to come down so we can pray for them. But before that happens, I want to spend a few minutes talking to you from uh, the perspective of God's Word and a message that's really directed to all of us. I think it has a special application for those who teach and lead, but it's really to all of us. And so, if you got your Bible open to John chapter 13, I want you to go ahead and stand with me right where you are. And uh, I'm going to read. We're going to stand together for the public reading of Scripture like we always do. Really, we're just going to focus on two verses this morning, verses 34 and 35 of John chapter 13. But I'm going to start reading in verse 31. You follow along. When he was gone, that's how our passage begins. And just to uh, explain that, that's a reference to Judas. Jesus is spending last precious hours with his disciples, and Judas has left to go and formally betray Jesus. And that's what that's a reference to. When verse 31 begins with the words, when he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And then here's the key for us this morning. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, there it is. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. You can be seated this morning. I don't think there's anybody here today who would disagree with me when I say we live in a very troubled world. We do. We wake up virtually every day to some new level or new story of division, deceit, hatred, violence, and heartbreak, whether it's local or whether it's in some other corner of the world. And most of us are left simply shaking our heads, wondering, praying, hoping for some kind of answer because we're desperately afraid of what the world is turning into. We're desperately afraid of what kind of world our children and our grandchildren are going to inherit. Well, I want you to know this morning, at the risk of being overly simplistic and at the risk of sounding terribly naive, I want you to know that I think there's really a good answer that comes from God's Word for the troubled world that we live in, and it's an answer that all of us can embrace and all of us can be involved in, and that is the answer to love, to love others. If you're as troubled as I am, and if you go through the day like I do, and sometimes you just find yourself asking the question, what can I do? How can I make a difference in the midst of this troubled world? Then the answer is that we can all get back to the basics of loving one another, of loving others. That's an instruction from Jesus that honestly, I think far too many of us have forgotten. I was reading not long ago, and 
there was a statement that really intrigued me. The writer said, one of the characteristics of religious cults is their tendency to preach what C.S. Lewis once called Christianity and, Christianity and. And what he meant by that was that Christians lose their way and they lose their effectiveness when they supplement the basic teachings of Christ with other issues or other beliefs that end up becoming their primary focus. But as soon as I read that, I got the sense in my mind that it's not just religious cults that do that. There are a lot of folks today who call themselves conservative Bible-believing Christians who have allowed themselves to become so involved in secondary issues that they often neglect the most basic instruction of Christ, the most basic principles of our faith. That's why there are those who preach Christianity and capitalism, Christianity and socialism, Christianity and social action, Christianity and the Republican Party, Christianity and separation from the world, Christianity, you can pretty much fill in the blank with whatever you think of. It's out there today. I meet people all the time who are so focused on secondary issues with regard to their faith that they've lost sight of this simple and basic fundamental teaching of Christ. Years ago, Billy Graham was soundly criticized in a letter that was written and published in a Christian magazine, and he was criticized for what the letter writer perceived to be his lack of allegiance to the pro-life movement. Now, Billy Graham, of course, was pro-life, but the writer of the letter questioned his sincerity because, in his opinion, Billy Graham was not as outspoken on the issue as he should have been. And that, friends, is a classic example of what I'm talking about. That's a classic example of the danger, once again, of what C.S. Lewis called Christianity and, because Jesus doesn't teach us that the mark of a Christian is found in devotion and solidarity to a specific issue or cause. Jesus teaches us that the mark of a Christian is love. And don't take that to mean that I'm soft on anything related to pro-life, because I'm not. It's just an illustration Jesus said in verse 35 of John 13, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the mark of a Christian is not a political mark. It's not a sociological mark. It's not even a doctrinal mark. As important as sound doctrine is, the mark of a Christian is love. And this is so important because this is one of the things that makes Christianity unique in the world. Think about that for a minute. What other religion is based on the founder's infinite love for his followers, a love that's so deep and so extreme that he's willing to die for them. You can't say that about Islam. You can't say that about any Eastern religion. You can't say that about any secular religion. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus didn't just die for his followers. He died for the whole world. That means he died for people who have never heard of him, for people who choose to ignore him, for people who are apathetic toward him. He died for people who reject him. He died for people who despise him. He died for people who killed him. This is the truth of the Scriptures. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So love is the most basic creed, it's the most basic doctrine, it's the most basic dogma, it's the most basic precept, it's the most basic teaching, it's the most basic whatever word you want to use for the Christian life. This is the clear instruction of the Scripture. So what we need to do 
is we need to love one another. Now let me ask you a question. How can something so simple be so hard? How can something as simple as the instruction to love one another be so stinking hard in the world we live in today? Let me tell you what the problem is with John 13, 34, and 35. There's a real big problem with those two verses. I'm going to tell you what it is. But first, let's just remind ourselves of what they say all together. Put those verses up on the screen. Jesus says, remember his last precious hours with the disciples, critical moment at the end of his life. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's the problem with this passage, at least for some folks. The problem is it requires absolutely no interpretation at all. That's the problem. Absolutely no interpretation at all. All it requires is application and action. That's it. There's nothing to argue about there. You cannot take a different position on the interpretation or meaning of this verse than I do. It's the same for all of us. There is nothing to argue about there. And as Christians, oftentimes we love to argue. We argue about doctrinal issues. We argue about things like the proper method of baptism or the meaning of baptism or how you should take communion or the style of music you should use in worship. And you can go on and on and on. But on this one subject, there's no room for disagreement. Jesus told us that the defining characteristic of a Christian is in plain and simple language whether or not he or she chooses to love others. Jesus said, love one another. And so here's what we need to do. Here's what all of us as believers need to embrace. If we want to really put ourselves in a position to try to make some kind of a difference in this troubled world that we live in, whatever corner of the world we live in, here's what we need to embrace real quickly, right down next to number one. We need to embrace this truth or this understanding that according to Jesus, love is a requirement and not an option. Love is a requirement and not an option. The very first part of our text in verse 34, the very first part of verse 34, Jesus says a new, here it is, command. Everyone say command. Command. He says a new command I give you, love one another. Love is a requirement, not an option. When I was in college a long time ago, I was like many of you when you were in college. I was carefully monitoring the classes that I took each semester because, you know, to graduate with a degree in college, you have to, first of all, have so many credit hours. And in those credit hours, there are requirements and there are electives. And you've got to have the right balance of those. You've got to make sure you get the requirements in so that you can graduate. So I was carefully monitoring that. And I came down to my last semester, and I wanted my last semester to be easy. I want it to be simple because during my last semester, I had a weekend ministry at a little church in southeast Kansas. Uh, after I got out of class on Friday, I would drive a little over an hour to this little town called Altamont, Kansas, about 1,000, 1,200 people. I had a little church there that, didn't, that couldn't afford to have a full-time staff, and so they hired part-time staff from the college, and I would spend Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday serving the people in that church. Then Sunday night, I would drive back to my college, and Monday through Thursday, I had a part-time job working in a men's clothing store, plus I was taking my classes. It was a pretty busy schedule. I wanted my classwork to be easy. And so I was monitoring those things, and there were two classes that were requirements. One was called Old Testament Survey, and one was called New Testament Drill. Now, I didn't know what those classes were. I'd never taken the time to try to find out what they were, but somehow in my mind, I convinced myself that those were easy classes. You know what I'm talking about? You know, in college, there's this, you know, like, you know, you're pretty sure that you can pass bowling in college, you know, or something like that. 
Well, I thought it was kind of along those lines, and I thought it was going to be smart to just keep pushing those to the last semester until I got to my very first day of class, and I got my syllabus out, and I found that what those classes were all about. Here's, here's what they were about. I had to memorize every event and every highlight from every chapter in the entire Bible. Yeah, I'll let that sink in for just a moment. Now, most people were smart enough not to take those two classes at the same time because one on its own is a challenge, and now you're talking about two. And so my last semester turned into a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. I mean, the New Testament, okay, you know, I mean, I grew up in church my whole life and my whole life in Sunday school and, and stuff, and that wasn't going to be too much. I'm telling you, the Old Testament, some of it's pretty tedious. Some of it's kind of hard to get through, and it was just brutal. It was a brutal experience, but here's the deal. In 1980, at Ozark Bible College in Joplin, Missouri, you could not graduate with any kind of degree without having completed successfully Old Testament survey and New Testament drill. They were requirements. Now, I read this passage that's before us that we've heard so many times. And I'm convinced Jesus is saying that you can't live the Christian life without the fundamental commitment to love people because it's a requirement. There are a lot of other things you can do. There are a lot of other things you can involve yourself in. But loving others is a requirement. You can't be a Christian without making that commitment. Now, sometimes what we do is we put our emphasis on other things. We emphasize spiritual gifts, Bible prophecy, social issues, any number of other things that are related to faith and related to the church. And all of those are important. All of those things are important. But the core curriculum of the Christian life, Jesus makes it clear in John 13, 34, is to love one another. And just in case you need further evidence, I mean, the words of Jesus should be enough for all of us. But look at these words written by the Apostle Paul. Remember, he wrote them under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 and verse 3. Remember, this is what we call the love chapter in the New Testament. Paul writes and says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain, say it with me, nothing, nothing. What's he saying? Well, in part, what he's saying is there are a lot of things you can do as a Christian. There are a lot of things you can involve yourself in. But if you don't love other people, if you don't love one another, if you don't love others, at the end of the day, you got what? Nothing. You got nothing. It's a requirement. It's not an option. Loving others. I know how difficult that is at times. But Jesus says it's a requirement, not an option. Right down next to number two, the second thing we need to understand from this passage is Jesus tells us that we learn how to love from Jesus. We learn how to love from Jesus. So in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. There's where we see that love is a requirement, not an option. But then he goes on in the latter part of verse 34, and he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I, I love this because Jesus didn't tell his disciples how they were supposed to live in vague, idealistic, or unrealistic terms. He showed them how they were supposed to live. He did that when he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That means we learn how to love from Jesus. And by the way, while this message is for all of us, I want to pause and just speak to you, you folks here this morning. 
and across the street or wherever you might be joining us, if you are someone who teaches, leads, serves, cares for students throughout the school year. I know this is not true for all of you, but certainly I know this is especially true for those of you who do this in a public setting. I know that there are times when you're really limited on what you can say and what you can do with regard to your Christian faith and your Christian testimony and your Christian conviction with your students. I know that. There are times when you have to stop and you kind of have to be careful about what you say and what you do. But there are no limits, there are no limitations on any of us in any setting for how much we love people. None. There will never be any limits to the kind of love that you show and that you demonstrate to the students that are under your care. And nothing impacts someone's life stronger than love. No words can impact someone's life as much as love can. That's, I'm convinced that's why Jesus puts a strong emphasis on love. That's why he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So how did Jesus love? Well, let me give you four things real quickly. He loved sacrificially, that's first. Jesus was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us, to lay down his life for us. So we need to be willing to make sacrifices for others that we love. We'll probably never be called to die for someone, but we need to make significant sacrifices. Number two, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved mercifully, even though, think about this, even though Jesus is perfect and Jesus knows that we are, we are not perfect, he still chooses to love us. How cool is that? Even though he, know, he is perfect and he knows we are not, he still chooses to love us. That's why, and he, and he loves us mercifully. That's why when we come to him, for example, with genuine sorrow and repentance over things that we've done that are wrong, that are displeasing to him, he forgives us because he loves us mercifully. We need to follow that example and love others with the same kind of mercy. C.S. Lewis, who I mentioned earlier, once said he loved us. Talking about Jesus, he loved us not because we were lovable, but because he is love. Real love is merciful. Number three, he loves us unconditionally. I love this. I love this. Jesus never put conditions uh, on his love for us. In fact, look at these words on the screen. John 15 and verse uh, 9. This is the only, these are the only conditions that Jesus places on his love for us. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, or so have I loved you. The only condition for Jesus' love is the degree that the Father loves him. And, and since God loves him with an unconditional, perfect, everlasting love, that's the kind of love that he has for us as well. And there's not a single thing that you and I could ever do to change that. That's the level with which he loves us all the time. And we need to love others in the same way, unconditionally. Number four, he loves positively. He loved positively. Here's what I mean by that. You know, if you, you pick up your Bible... And you go into the Gospels. We're in the Gospel of John this morning. You read through the Gospels and you, you put the life of Jesus under a magnifying, uh, magnifying glass. What you see is that when Jesus encountered people, he looked at them and he loved them. So much of the time, he looked at them and he loved them. When he encountered people, he didn't, he didn't see them just for what they were in the moment. He didn't see them based on the mistakes that they'd made in the past. He saw them for what they could become. That's what Jesus did. And so he saw the best in them. That's what I mean when I say he loved positively. You remember that story? You know, and that was, it was so different in that day and age. It was so countercultural to every other thing that the people in that day and age were used to because there was no compassion, there was no sympathy, there was no empathy of, uh, in the culture that Jesus lived in. In that day and age, people looked at you, and if you had some kind of a problem, some kind of a difficulty, some kind of a, a handicap or anything like that, they had this belief that you had that because you somehow deserved it. You, you had that because you'd done something wrong in your life, and you were just getting paid back for that. 
That's why I remember in John chapter 9, it's one day Jesus is walking along with the disciples, and they see a man that's born blind, and the disciples stop, and they ask Jesus, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they just naturally assumed that he was blind because it was his own fault somehow. And when you live with that kind of an attitude, you don't have compassion for people. You're not sympathetic. You don't feel empathy for people. You just look at them and thumb your nose at them and think you're getting what you deserve. But that's not what Jesus did. He looked at people and he loved them. He didn't see them for what they were in the moment. He didn't see them for the mistakes of the past. He saw them for what they could be. And he loved positively. And that's his example. That's the way you and I are supposed to love. Jesus shows us how to love. Listen, if you're somebody who teaches, leads, serves, or cares for students, think about the kind of impact you can have on the life of a student if you love them with an I believe in you kind of love, if you love them with, I see, with an I see great things for you in the future kind of love, with a I believe you can do anything kind of love. Just think about the difference it can make in their life. Write down next to number three, real quickly. I see in this passage that love gives us away. We talked about the first two parts of verse 34. Verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, if you spend any time reading about first century Christians or the first century church, you'll find that they had a tremendous impact on the world that they lived in primarily because they loved other people and they demonstrated that love. That shouldn't surprise us because that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is basically saying, this is how the world is going to recognize that you belong to me. It's going to be by the way you love one another, by the way you love others. I was reading a blog the other day, and in the blog the pastor said, that he loved the people in this church, his congregation, but he just wasn't very good at expressing it. And I thought to myself, that's a mistake that all of us make at different times in our lives. The mistake of thinking that love is primarily an emotion. I'm not going to deny that love is an emotion, that there's an emotional side of love, but the truth is, love is an action. It's an action. It does us no good to feel lovingly toward anyone. I don't care who you're talking about. It can be your spouse, your children. It can be the people that are closest to you. It doesn't do us any good to feel lovingly toward anyone if we don't follow up on that feeling through loving actions toward them. And Jesus knew that. He knew that the world would have no way of knowing the heart of God. He knew that the world would have no way of knowing the love of God unless they saw it in the lives of God's children. He says, love is supposed to be the thing that gives you away. I uh, read a book when I was in college, and Brian, you can come. We'll bring this to a close. I read a book when I was in college on discipleship that's always stayed with me. The best book on discipleship I've ever read, written by a man named Juan Carlos Ortez, who was an Argentinian pastor, evangelist, author. He talked about beginning to serve... uh, new church one Sunday, and on his first Sunday there, he got up to preach, and he stepped up behind the pulpit, not unlike what I'm doing here this morning, and he looked at the congregation. He said, the message for today is love one another, and then he sat down. No such thing as a bad short sermon, right? <laughs> and, and the people were kind of stunned, you know? I mean, they, I mean he was new. They were, it was a new experience. They didn't know quite what to expect, and they were kind of waiting to see what happened next. So there was kind of an awkward silence in the room, and so after a little while, he got up. He stood behind the pulpit again, and he said, the message for today is love one another, and he sat down. 
Now, it wasn't just an awkward silence. There was some kind of grumbling and mumbling, you know, among the congregation. People like, well, what have we gotten ourselves into? What is going on? And finally, the third time, he got up and he stepped behind the pulpit and he looked out at the audience and he said, the message for today is love one another. But then he added these words. He said, and until we begin doing that, there won't be any other message. And over the course of time, the strangest thing happened to that church. It began a little bit in that service that morning, but then it grew over the course of time. They began to love one another like they never had before. They began to talk to one another like they never had before. They began to pray for one another like they never had done before. They began to be generous and support one another like they had never done before. And then what was happening inside the church began to spill outside the walls of the church and they had a great impact on their community. And over the course of time, they ended up hearing more messages. But in the beginning, it was important to say that there are some messages that just need to be repeated. And this is the message of Christ for all of us. Love one another. And what's so great about it is that it's, it's, it's something that all of us can do. I could stand up here and say the message is to go and hear and, and do this or to, or, to, or, to, or to preach this message or, or, or to share this truth. And there could be somebody who would say, well, I could never do that. Nobody can say I can't love someone. Nobody. And it's the answer to the troubled world we live in. Whatever corner of the world we find ourselves in, and it all starts with us. It starts with me, and it starts with you. This is the message. Love one another.